Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The wind is in our sails, ladies and gentlemen. The streets are getting busier, the trains are filling up, the pubs and restaurants are being booked by the millions and there is a definite sense of normality in the air. Even masks are beginning to come off in more and more locations that I visit. Yesterday, I watched as dozens of people waited patiently to get their cars clean, observed shoe shops filling up with customers who were trying on shoes and even spotted traffic jams all over town. The economy, ladies and gentlemen, is definitely on the rebound this morning. I'll be bringing you figures of just how much the economy has bounced back this week, and it's pretty impressive. Sales of pints alone, right, this was on Monday, were up 340% on Monday from the same day two years ago, that's in 2019. 340%, more than three and a half times as many pints of beer were sold this Monday than two years ago. Look around though, and there's an interesting mood in the air. Something else that I've deducted uh, over the part, over the course of the last few days. This morning, the Sun's got a video of women fighting on a plane over some overhead luggage space. And this morning, on the tube, there's a definite air of what I would describe as edginess. Some wearing masks, some not. Everyone looking a little bit leery. Are we all just an inch away from snapping? There's quite a lot of interesting things going on. And so I want to know from you this morning, what are you seeing as ever? What are you hearing? What are you doing? And are you noticing that people are a little bit more edgy than they used to be before this lockdown? 0344 499 1000. First up today, though, I'll be asking John Rental, the Independence Chief Political Commentator, how he thinks it's all going and whether he's got a second job with a lobbying firm or possibly not. Plus, we'll be finding out just what the problem is at Heathrow, where arriving passengers have been waiting for as long as seven hours to get through immigration channels. That's going to be a bit tense as well, I would have thought. Coming up, we've got author and commentator Helen Dale on the lockdown versus vaccine debate. And we'll be asking why care home rules are still so strict for visits and whether workers are going to have a vaccine. Lucy Beresford is going to join us as well to talk us through the state of us, uh, the state of our uh, mood, the state of our uh, mental health and whether or not there is a sense that out there uh, it's all a little bit wild westy at the moment. And because it's Thursday, it's time for the Thursday Club with wine expert Helena Nicklin, who today is going to be helping us celebrate... International Malbec Day. Yeah, I didn't know it was either. 0344 You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, 
Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Fully um, inflated this morning with uh, a sense of her own self-importance, but also uh, fully uh, happy, I think, that things are beginning to look as if they're getting back to normal. We're going to be asking all of our guests today what they're making of all of that, uh, as well as, obviously, their areas of expertise. John Rental joins us first, Chief Political Commentator at the Independent. John, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Now, yeah, no, it's great. It's great getting back to normal, isn't it? It really does seem like it, doesn't it? I mean, I know that sometimes I can be accused of getting a bit carried away. Um, but, you know, I was out yesterday. <laughs> I was out Never. yesterday. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? Uh, loads of people waiting to get their cars washed. You know, there was much more activity around the shopping centre that I go to locally. You know, many more people out and about just in ordinary shops, which haven't been open for, you know, the best part of four months. And there's just a sense of kind of optimism, it seems to me. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, except that I was I was trapped at home yesterday because you know the wonderful thing about lockdown, of mm. course, is that you're always in. Yes. So if you're expecting if you're expecting a delivery um, or a parcel or something, you know it's never a problem because you you know you're going to be there. Whereas uh, yesterday, I wanted to get I wanted to get down to the House of Commons um, as usual. Yes. Uh, and I, I couldn't because I was uh, I was waiting for a delivery. Well, couldn't you just go back to the way it used to be, where you miss every delivery that ever comes to your house because you're always out, <laughs> and you never ever actually get anything that anybody sends you. <laughs> Yeah, that's no good, Mike. I actually need a new printer. Oh, okay, All right. Well, listen, go and buy one in a shop and carry it home like everybody else can now do. No, this is this is the point about getting back to normal. Go back to the way we used to be. Stop getting everything brought to you by a man in a van and actually go to Curry's or somewhere. Other uh, stores are available and bring it home in a box. Yeah, no, but there are advantages to the uh, to the working from home. Uh, routine that some of us uh, some of us got used to but i mean actually i've been i've been going down to 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 westminster most of the, most of the time recently uh, anyway yeah. uh, because it, i i need i need to talk to people otherwise uh, i i i you know, I've got nothing to write about. Well, because, right. Uh, it's exactly. all, it's I mean, all in my own head. I mean, you're an observationalist, John. And, and I think one of the great things about being in places, and I've always said this as a journalist, and, and, and the, the tragedy for a lot of journalists now is they don't go anywhere. They sit at their ta- you know, their terminals and fire out 15 pieces of day on Mail Online. That's right. Is, and they don't actually meet anyone. They don't see anyone. No, and they... You know, and they get all their news from Twitter and they just write that up as a, as a news story. Yeah. And that's That's... You know that you, you need. You're absolutely right. You need to talk to people. You need to bump into people. You need to talk to other journalists in yes. particular. Right. Um, I mean, that's where I, I get on my. I, don't, I mean, I don't need to talk to those MPs. I mean, they've never got an idea in their head. But I mean, other journalists are always uh, are always fascinating. Well, do you know what's funny? We did a show from uh, a pub on Monday, as you would have expected us fully to do, the Horseshoe Inn, a uh, beautiful pub just around the corner here from uh, from the Shard. And we were, uh, we'd were we booked a load of Tory MPs to come, but as soon as the edict went out from Boris Johnson that we must be very sensible um, and we mustn't overdo it, they all cancelled. Yeah. Now, the, the, but the funny thing was they didn't cancel because Boris Johnson had told them to cancel, as far as we were concerned. They all came up with different excuses that they couldn't come. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, guys, you know, we know why you're not coming. Why don't you just hold your hands up and go, look, we've been told we shouldn't really do it so we're not doing it fine i would have accepted yeah. that but you know that's the problem with, with politicians you can't trust what they say <laughs> no they're all they're all fine people uh mike but uh, they're obviously they're obviously a bit too busy to to, to come well, on your listen, program is that the, it, you, you only get invited to one of my pub shows once if you don't come you right. don't get invited to the next one 
Is that the pub I cycled past when no. uh, when you were uh, you were sitting there drinking during the lockdown? No, that was Brindiza. That was the Spanish tapas bar on the corner of Borough. Oh, Market. right. OK. But uh, right. easy to confuse the two. But listen, um, what are you making of, uh, of, of the way things are down at Parliament? Because obviously there's a lot of people who would like to see it getting back to normal uh, more uh, quickly rather than more slowly. But it doesn't seem to be much appetite for it down there. Uh, no, and you know, I, mean, I do. I do think um, Boris Johnson got stung last year because he was quite. He was very keen to get people back to their offices. He's keen, keen for Parliament to uh, to lead the way. Uh, the Speaker was uh, much less keen, uh, and then of course we had the, uh, the the second and third waves, second and third lockdowns, mm. um, and you, you know, I don't think the Prime Minister is going to be pushing quite so hard for. The parliament to come back to uh, to the previous way of working no. because i think they want to leave people to, to drift back to their offices uh, by negotiation and by consent and i think that's uh, that's going to be a slightly longer process i think it's a shame because obviously i prefer parliament when it's full mm. and noisy and raucous i think that's democracy uh, at its best but uh, opinions differ on that a lot of people think it's uh, schoolyard politics mm. but uh, I, I i like it yes uh so we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna have that so we'll have still have the sort of slightly bloodless uh, exchanges in 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 an em- semi-empty chamber with, uh, with people contributing by video yes. which is which is really not the same at not all ideal. My, um, t- my two favorite moments yesterday sorry to interrupt you were, were when um uh, Sir Keir Starmer revealed himself to clearly not be a fan of uh, Line of Duty, but by, by like all previous uh, incumbents, trying to make out that he's a man uh, with his eye on the popular culture. Because I was talking to Charlotte Ivers as it was happening, and uh, I said to her, you know what's going to happen? And she's like, yeah, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll get him on the Today programme and ask him who his favourite female character is, and he won't know. <laughs> 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 yeah, no. Well, I didn't. I didn't understand the reference to Line of Duty either. It's something about AC12 or something. Yeah, Ted um, Hastings is, yeah. is the guy who's, in fact, funnily enough, just got uh, retired as a result of the fact that he's too old and too white. Yeah, no. I think I think simply using the phrase "bent coppers" in the in the chamber is not, you know, by itself hilariously funny. No, uh, and a, and a really crushing put down for the prime minister. But mm. you know, I mean, Keir Starmer was having a good time yesterday. But you know, well, he was rarely. until then. I think actually, he was doing very well. I thought until that moment, and then it just it just looked like something he'd been told to try and throw in a reference to it. You know. No, no. I think you no. Know, he was he had. You know, normally he looks a little bit sad and uh, uh, and serious and forlorn. Uh, look, you know, he's, he's got this furrowed brow look that he and Annalisa Dodds, uh, well, all of them uh, have. You know, they, well, they sound have a really brow worried. If were, well, if you were in the Labour Party about to lose a, a, a by-election, <laughs> you'd be worried as well. No, but their tone is always one of, you know, really sort of earnest seriousness. Whereas right. yesterday you got a sense that uh, Kirsten was actually, I mean, Almost enjoying this green cell business uh, too much. Yeah. Really. He was sort of uh, he was laughing and uh, and and, and uh, talking about his you know the excuses people came up with when he was a prosecuting uh, counsel. Yeah. Uh, you know the shoplift the shoplifters defence yeah. uh, as he as he called it. I mean you know he was having a good time and 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 fair enough because the government is in trouble on this. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I mean I wonder whether Boris Johnson's actually quite enjoying it as well because he's not much of a fan of David Cameron. Uh, he's no, he's got no problem throwing him under the bus. And I mean the idea no, of the but... civil service. I think for me the civil service is the story here because actually 
the other story about Cameron and and you know Rishi Sunak is so you know impermeably complex that nobody can understand yeah. him. The Daily Mail today have done the most ridiculous graphic, which has got sort of arrows <laughs> pointing right, left, centre. Here's a connection over here. There's a guy over there. Yeah. You know, you might as well not have bothered. I mean, you know, literally look at it and immediately fall asleep, slump over it. <laughs> you know, um, whereas the idea know, the really... idea that these highly paid civil servants have actually got second jobs, I think, is a total scandal. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, this is all happening under a Conservative government. And, you know, although Boris Johnson might enjoy uh, tweaking uh, David Cameron's tail, you know, for, for most people who aren't following the detail, they're all Tories and they're all at it. And, uh, they're not very good at know, it, though, are they? No, but it doesn't matter. It just it just doesn't doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good. And, you know, Boris's attempts to distance himself from, from David Cameron uh, are not entirely successful because I think most people, although they recognise that you know he is he is a bit different because he's the Brexit prime minister and he had an election of his own and all the rest of it, but you know he's he's still a conservative and he, he was defending himself yesterday by saying, well, we passed the lobbying act in 2014. Yeah. Uh, as Keir Starmer said, who passed that? That was David Cameron, and right. look what he got up to afterwards. Well, apparently, though, it's not really the Tories' fault they keep winning elections because Labour is so useless. Because Labour would have, <laughs> Labour would have been in charge had they not been so useless. And they would have been allowing civil servants to do exactly what the civil servants have been doing. So you can't really blame the Tories. Well, I'm yeah, good at this, except you, well, you, you can, actually. And, and Keir Starmer did blame the Tories. I mean, he, he said that the Lobbying Act in 2014 wasn't uh, tough enough. Uh, and, you know, he's got a, he's got a point. Well, I he mean, does have a point. To allow a... But why, but why, I mean, why, if, why if, I don't if, understand if, is why is he not going after the people that Hancock was helping out with the old PPE stuff? Well, that's a bit more complicated because there are there are good reasons for why that was done in a rush. Mm. Uh, but, you know, if, if the rules actually allow a former prime minister to lobby uh, his successors for profit, uh, then those rules do need to be tightened up. And I think that that is something that is going to reflect badly on the Conservatives. I mean, maybe some people will just say, well, you know, politicians, they're all dreadful. Well, they will. They're all, I mean, they're this, all this story, active, let I me don't... tell you, John, this story has no cut through to the to the populace of this country. Nobody cares because they're already looking at it like that scene in Casablanca where Inspector Renault um, comes out and says, you know, <laughs> we're closing this place down immediately. We've discovered gambling is going on. And the guy comes and goes, here's your winnings. And he goes, oh, thank you very much indeed. Everybody knows that this has been going on for years and nobody cares. I think that's the problem. Have we lost you? I do care. People are annoyed about it. And people do think the politicians no, are No, the Labour no Party are annoyed about it. Yeah, no, but I think I think that you know there is a there is a party bias in this. I think people think that the Conservatives are are worse than the, than the Labour Party slightly. I mean, you know, maybe maybe there's not a huge thing in it. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things they need to do is stop putting Eric Pickles up as the man to defend it because I don't think that's going to work terribly well. But listen, John, I think we're losing you, so we're going to cut you there. Sorry uh, to do so. But John Rensel, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent there. Uh, I'm pretty sure you don't care very much about the lobbying scandal, so-called in the uh, Conservative Party, because that's what lobbyists do. Uh, as somebody said on Talk Radio yesterday, lobbyists got to lobby. That's their job. I'll tell you what you do care about, though. What we do care about is that basically there are too many people out there uh, who are wanting to tell us how to behave, wanting to tell us what to do, wanting to tell us precisely what we should be doing, and that is the point. Mid-morning.
with Mike Graham. Talk Radio, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the independent republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. I spotted a video this morning uh, from uh, an airline flight where two women, actually more than two women, decided to uh, get going fighting each other uh, over some uh, overhead baggage space. Julia Hartley Brewer actually said, well, she would always defend uh, overhead luggage space because it's one of the big bugbears that you get. But here's my point. I mean, looking at it, uh, yes, you can say this kind of thing happens and has happened before but I just it strikes me after I came on the tube this morning uh, noticing that there was a lot more people on the tube a lot more people looking at each other slightly differently we're in post lockdown mode here and I think a lot of people are quite frustrated a lot of people are quite edgy a lot of people have got quite short fuses let's talk to Lucy Beresford relationship expert about exactly how we are uh, coming out of lockdown uh, because in the end you have not seen many people a lot of people have not seen many people for a very long time Lucy very good morning to you Hi, Mike. Yeah, it's a very strange situation because we've been, there's a lot that we haven't been able to control, mm. obviously, the virus. Yeah. But by staying at home, we've been a lot more in control of our environment. And now that we're coming out of lockdown, you'll get scenes like this because we're having to interact with other human beings. Yes. And, and I mean, at the best of times, there are those of us, and I, I don't count myself as particularly intolerant, but, you know, um, the, the people do annoy me quite a bit. You know, it can be the case that people can annoy me. But what I noticed on the tube this morning was, one, they're a lot busier. Two, there are, there are two sort of sets of people. There are people now sitting down next to each other, which they weren't doing um, two weeks ago. People, some wearing masks, some people not wearing masks. And you can see people looking at one another like, why are they doing that? And sort of wanting to say something, but maybe not saying something. But I can just see a, a situation where it's all, it's all a bit fraught, really. Well, it's very fraught because there are different rules and people don't know what the boundaries are. So, again, in your own home, you can set the rules mm. for how people conduct themselves. When you get outside, and, of course, the clip that you've posted onto Twitter isn't just about a brawl, but there are quite a lot of people on that flight who are not wearing masks, right. whereas my understanding was that actually you have to wear masks mm. in an airport, on an airline. So other people who are obeying the rules, whatever they might be, will often look at others and think, well, why are you allowed mm. to get away with this? How come you're allowed? How come you're so special? Are you special or are you stupid? Right. And that kind of internal dialogue is going on, monologue maybe, and then it really makes us feel very resentful of the people who seem to be getting away with something mm. that we ourselves would love to be doing, but we're not because we're being so law-abiding. Yeah, but I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because law-abiding is, uh, is a very wide-ranging uh, phrase, for example. I mean, there are lots of people, for example, who will wear a mask on the tube, but will have people around to their house for dinner and just not tell anyone. So, I mean, I think the problem is it's been going on for such a long time that everybody's done things in a different way, and not everyone... Um, has been quite honest about it as much as some people are out in the open now. And I think as time goes on, I mean, even as, as next week comes, we will see a kind of a split in society, I think, because a lot of people want to tell other people what to do. And a lot of other people don't want anyone to tell them what to do and never the twain shall meet. Or there's that third group of people who are absolutely, you know, waiting for a fight. They kind of walk into a supermarket without a mask and look at everybody as if to say, I dare you to challenge yes. me so that I can have some kind of bust up. Mm. But I think psychologically we have to recognise that, you know, we're quite basic creatures at heart. We're sophisticated in many ways, but we're quite, we also, we like to know where we stand. Mm. And if we've had a particular instruction, which we got a year ago, I must ask you to stay at home. That's very clear and understood. But as you say, the last 12 months have been much more fluid. We've made things up as we've gone along. Mm. Within families, they've made different decisions. So we're going to have to... This is what isn't going to make 
this is what is going to make coming out of lockdown so stressful for a lot of people. It's that they no longer know what the what all the rules are. You yeah. know that when you cross the road in the UK, the cars will hopefully be coming in one particular direction or the other. You know that. From <laughs> you know, yeah, you have to look the other way to see the cyclists, though, because they're coming the other way. And all those cars that kind of are electric and don't make a sound, and yes. you, you haven't quite got used to that. But and then there's the scooters. By and large, you know what the rules are. They've had them drummed into you for decades. This is a completely different ball game. And what we need is to actually have a lot more compassion for not just ourselves, but for our fellow people, because we're all struggling in this. We are all going to make little errors, little mistakes. Oh, sorry, I didn't know that was the rule. I, you know, so instead of really going for the jugular at the off, instead of being really aggressive. And that's the problem. There's probably quite a lot of pent-up emotions. Mm. Thank goodness gyms are open so that kickboxing can take place. Yes. Normally my go-to suggestion for clients who have quite a lot of anger issues <laughs> is like kickboxing is brilliant. Right. But if you've got a situation where someone has overstepped the mark, just remember that we are all trying to get through this together. Don't kick off immediately. Just take your time. Take a deep breath and maybe be a bit kinder in your response to yes. something. But yeah. you know, what on that clip that you posted up, where are the pe- where where was the airline saying I, I think the luggage that you're trying to get onto the plane is just a bit too big. You know, we have a hold for that. That's what normally happens. So at some point you, you have to defer to the people who are making these rules. And at the moment I don't think we know what they're doing. Well, that's the other problem, because, I mean, there was a time, Lucy, when we didn't have that many rules. And so basically life was a lot simpler and people went about their business and did whatever they wanted within the law. But the law now has become so overbearing that a lot of people just don't, one, don't know what the rule is and two, are not really very interested in what it is. Well, I think actually we have had had lots of rules, but you described a scenario just now, which is where we've all been slightly making things up as you go along. Mm. And I think that happens a lot. Uh, You know, there are some very hard and fast rules laid down either by governments or by faith or whatever. And and we tend to abide by those, again, because we've learned them from childhood. But this is a whole different proposition. None of us have ever been through a pandemic like this before across the globe. Even different countries are going to set up different rules. So if those of us who are going to go traveling, hopefully, in a week, you know, in a couple of months' time, we're going to discover that there's a whole different landscape in other places. Yeah. So, again, compassion is going to be completely key. It isn't about seeing if you can score points. It isn't about trying to shame people. It's simply about trying for all of us to work out where the ro- where the roadmap is. Mm. Not the roadmap that the government is giving us, but the roadmap that's going to allow us to live on a daily basis with ease and with grace for other people. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Lucy, thank you very much indeed. Lucy Barris with their relationship expert uh, on the need for compassion. Well, here's what I want to ask you people out there today, the good people of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, because that is, of course, where all the common sense resides. The commonsensical point of view, for my point of view, uh, is you don't go around telling other people what they should be doing. You know, I did not have the urge this morning uh, to go up to anybody on the tube to ask them why they were wearing a mask. And I know people who have been asked that. Uh, Also, I didn't have the urge to go up to people who weren't wearing a mask and say, why are you not wearing a mask? Because it's none of my business. I don't really care. Right. I care about my own situation. I don't care about what other people are doing unless they're actually hurting somebody else. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Let's talk straight away to Julia Jones, co-founder of John's Campaign. Julia, very good afternoon to you. Hello, Mike. Thank you very much for inviting me. Not at all. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on. We will talk about John's, camp- uh, John's Campaign in a second. First of all, what do you make of that video, the amazing video that we've all watched of the elderly couple, Gordon Davis and his wife, Mary, reunited for the first time in, in over a year? It brings a great um, sort of tear to the eye, but a joy uh, uh, to watch it as they as they reunite and see each other for the first time. But my question would be, what on earth is going on in this country when a couple like this, who are both... 89 years of age, have not been together for this period of time. Dear Mike, that, that's absolutely the right reaction. I think that people in positions of authority fail to realise that you can be old, you can be disabled, you can be living with dementia, you can still experience love. Yes. And yes. actually, it, it, it's the, the, the one thing that's been missing from the equation mm. over this last year and and that's a really big lack in our lives because love makes people feel better yes and you're feeling better and you've got well-being you've got a chance of confronting whatever comes your way and and that's what people just didn't seem to realize no and human contact as well i mean how many people have we seen uh, and i've had many calls over the course of the last year julie from from people saying you know yeah. i wasn't able to see my mother i i, I had to stand outside a window and, you know she yeah. couldn't touch me i mean it's inhuman as far as i'm concerned quite extraordinary quite extraordinary behavior mm. and i think i think there's a sort of residual feeling that if your your parent or indeed your child because i i hope we're going to be talking about the parents of the disabled children yes. you know, the young adults who are, are not able to see each other if there's a feeling that if your your autistic son or your mother with dementia goes to live in residential or nursing care. It means you don't care about them. Mm. It doesn't mean that at all. It, it, it means you have that still that deep love, but you've accepted that they've got big needs that, that you can't supply by yourself. Mm. So you're wanting to work in partnership with professionals. So you bring in the love and the knowledge and the emotion and, and the 
individual support and and they bring in um the professional care yes. which you know people need yes and in the expertise and all of that but then you would hope and yeah. expect surely that the people handing out that professional care are professional um, and are not hidebound by a lot of ridiculous rules. And I understand that, that, you know, care homes were particularly vulnerable places with particularly vulnerable people in them. We could argue about all the decisions that were made at the time that may or may not have been the right decisions and all of that. But surely now, with the uh, most of the residents, as far as I'm aware anyway, having been vaccinated, it should be a much safer atmosphere for everyone, shouldn't it? It's just extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, this this we, we've sent a really strong letter to the government mm. um, yesterday um about this 14-day isolation rule because quite honestly mike you know it's coming close to being a sort of unlawful imprisonment yeah. in, in the government guidance you know they say we realize this means that people won't want to leave their care home well many people living in care homes actually have got full mental capacity how you can think it's all right to say that somebody with full mental capacity cannot walk out of their own front door it, completely beats me mm. how you think it's all right to try and and pressurize a, an autistic young man into being locked in his room for 14 days i i simply think that, that and this is not a, a, a criticism of care homes this is a direct criticism of public health england mm. and the department of health yes they, they should know better well i must confess i'm rather puzzled by the existence of public health england because i thought matt hancock abolished <laughs> it he abolished it last year and it seems, still seems to be there you know so i'm not quite oh, yes. sure what's going on there but certainly it's, it's very... i think we could all get on a lot better without them <laughs> i think that's right i think that's absolutely right but i mean i think this is the problem isn't it that we have been led to a large extent by, um, you know, a little bit of fear, uh, worries about uh, the casualty rates in, yeah. in care homes and, and certainly yeah. the worry that, that if you were to mix uh, the wrong people with, with elderly relatives, that they could become very sick and, and they could end up in hospital and they could die. But I'm not sure that's the case anymore. I absolutely don't think it's the case anymore. And also, in the whole point of a care home is you have care workers yeah. coming in every day and naturally you know they're playing now their full part in the community um you know they, they have perhaps their children to pick up from school they might want a little bit of social life they mm. might want to go to the beach all those things they're coming in and out every day going from room to room and yet we're saying that um somebody perhaps who would like to vote in the forthcoming elections mm. can't walk down to the covid secure polling station and then walk back to their care home without then being self-isolated for 14 days. I mean, what is it? What nonsense I know. is that? I know, it really is. And non I'm so glad you've said that word because so much of what we're having to, to fight right now is nonsense and we're going to try and yeah. do our level best to do that. What do you make of the suggestions in some areas this morning of the uh, the, the likelihood that the government will, will ask all care workers to be vaccinated? They will actually insist on it. Do you think that's going to make any difference to the way that this all works? Well, so far, it hasn't made the, the vaccination programme, which, you know, we're all so proud of. And, mm. and, you know, many volunteers have really put effort into and the NHS has put effort into and the country has put money into. It hasn't actually changed anything much right. for the people who are in priority group one, the people who most need it, nor for the people with, you know, special health needs, such as, you know, the, the young people with learning di disability. It, it hasn't made a difference 
to them and I, I i think i think the whole point of this vaccination program and if you like the increased availability of testing it, we, we should now be feeling the difference and yet this group of people and a single group within society is being treated differently from the rest of society simply because they're living in residential or nursing care mm. that can't be right no exactly and so many people now do live in in this sort of way that you think that there's a big enough number of people for the government to be very concerned about uh, making sure that it all runs very well. But I've always said well, this. Well, please, uh, Mike, we're all going to get old, no, aren't we? Right. We're all going to need, you know, a bit of help and care when we get old. We need to have confidence that if we need to go and live in um, residential or nursing care because of our physical or mental disabilities that we're still going to be respected as adult members of the community. Mm, exactly right. But I've always had an issue with social care in this country. I mean, in recent years, it seems to have been neglected. It seems to be handed to the wrong people. Um, it seems to have been administered badly. And I mean, even before COVID came along, I was calling for a proper kind of root and branch examination of the way the system works. I mean, how would you yeah. how would you solve the problems that we see? Because I think for some, uh, there's too many private individuals running homes um, rather less well than they should. Uh, I don't think local councils should be doing it. I don't think they've got the capability. You know, I don't think the NHS should be doing it. I think almost they should set up a separate entity which looks after, you know, the care of elderly people. Well, the trouble is when you separate social care from the NHS, um, social care tends to get much less esteem. And I think that's something we've seen all the way through mm. this pandemic. Um, you know, great esteem for the NHS and, you know, quite rightly. Um, but people living in social care are still people who need to be part of the community. They need to be using the NHS, you know, as much as the rest of us. So I think there must be parity of esteem. I think that it's so polarised. Either, you know, say, let, let's let's think of my my mum, who's now, who's now um, passed away. Mm. Um, Either so she increasingly lived with dementia and this was increasingly difficult and distressing. Now, either she could be living in the community with me um, and, and carers struggling to to help her be safe and happy, or she would go into a care home. And that was a complete sort of polarization. And, and what you need is to be able to bring the 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 love and care of family together with the expertise of a care home. You need a sort of three-part system. Mm. It, it, at the moment, it's a sort of either or. Either unpaid carers are busting a gut and, and, and putting their own health at risk out in the community. And there have been you know, some tragic examples of, of people struggling through because they don't dare um, to say, actually, darling, I can't cope anymore. If you don't mind living there, I'll be there every day, I promise you. And people have made these promises and people have been stopped from, from fulfilling these promises. And that set up a big legacy of anger, guilt and mistrust. Mm. And you've been contacted, haven't you, Julia, by lots of different families who need help in gaining access to their elderly relatives and just seeing them treated better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's... <laughs> I, I mean, th there needs to be a proper understanding between care staff and families because often it's a very difficult relationship and sometimes care staff feel that families are overcritical mm. and sometimes families are overcritical because they know how they've been you know they they reckon they know how their mum works or how their yes. husband works and, and and they want to do it their way mm. there needs to be a lot more upfront 
do you know, care staff don't get any training in how to liaise with families right. and you know it's a really fraught relationship if you're a teacher and and you know you've got parents coming into your primary school you learn quite a lot about how you deal with parents mm. and I think those sorts of working together those sorts of really practical partnership would will give us all a better um old age or a better um life if we're unfortunate enough to have a disability yeah and like all things a better understanding of what one another uh, is dealing with I suppose yeah Exactly. Yeah. Proper, proper respect on either side, because I do understand that good care home workers do feel a great affection for the people they look after. Mm. And it has been horrible and traumatic for them to, to see those deaths. But it's been just as horrible and traumatic for the people on the outside um, while those deaths have been happening. And, and and of course, many people have died not from covid um, but from the heartbreak, because going back to you know that thing about love, um, if you're living with dementia, you can't understand necessarily what's going on, but you can still feel the emotions of, of abandonment and, and bewilderment. Mm. And, and you can still feel the emotion of love, which can give you the strength that you need. Exactly right. Very well said, Julia. How can people get in touch if they need to? Um well, I'm Julia at johnscampaign.org.uk. That's my mobile phone. Okay. Ring. Well, there you go. You don't, I didn't know. I mean, I knew I was good. We've got, I didn't know we've, I was got, good. we've got a website, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So website is a good place to come. All right. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. Julia Jones there from the uh, John's Campaign. Obviously a very worthwhile uh, individual, a very worthwhile cause. So if you're having any problems whatsoever uh, getting to see your elderly relatives because they're in a care home that isn't being very cooperative, uh, they would be a good place to start. We would also be a good place to start. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, we've been talking for a long time about the possibility of going somewhere on holiday uh, and flying out of the country to parts slightly warmer, uh, slightly calmer, slightly different, uh, slightly less busy, perhaps slightly sandier. However, um, the problem now is coming back because at the moment, according to Heathrow Airport, you could be waiting six hours, possibly seven hours to get through immigration because they can't handle all of the different different COVID rules that have to be adhered to. Let's talk to Lisa Francesca Nan, travel journalist, host of the Big Travel podcast. Of course, Lisa, very good morning to you. Good morning. Well, I mean, uh, we've talked about the, the, the capacity at Heathrow before, Lisa, because we knew that they were going to struggle once the actual um, proper levels of travel started getting back back again. I mean, we're not really seeing huge numbers of people necessarily, but we're seeing huge delays. What's going on? Yeah, I think this is the very concerning thing is we're not seeing huge numbers of people at the moment. It's difficult to get a, an exact figure for how many people are coming into the country as a whole. Mm. Uh, they reckon it's about 15,000, 10 to 15,000. Those are the estimates and obviously a good proportion of those at Heathrow. So if they're struggling now with people coming in, I mean, what is it going to be like when we're actually we're not allowed to travel at the moment? Very few people are traveling yeah. comparatively. What is it going to be like? And it's not actually poor Heathrow's fault. You know, they're actually the, uh, the boss of Heathrow has come out saying this is untenable we cannot do this you know we're trying our best um but it's it's the the government requirements of everyone has got to be checked and they're checking every single person many people will say that was that was a good thing but it, it's not necessarily a good thing in, in terms of logistical reasons yeah. for getting people back in the country those people are standing there i stood in one of those queues um in the summer for two hours and 
you know, you've been avoiding people for so long. You're standing there cheek by jowl with mm. everyone from different countries from all over the world. And, you know, like you said, for, in some instances, for up to six or seven hours. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Because we talked about this uh, traffic light system that supposedly uh, the government wants to introduce, you know, red countries, amber countries, green countries. But the problem's going to be uh, when they all get back to Heathrow or Gatwick or wherever they come back into, the arrivals areas are all going to be mixed with people from all of those different countries. And so it doesn't really matter um, whether you're supposed supposedly safe having come back from a green country because you're going to be standing for hours in the same arrivals hall as somebody from a red one. Yes, absolutely. And I think it needs to be made very clear uh, what's going to be required to, to get out of the country and what's going to be required to get back in the country. And although we had the Global Travel Task Force reporting on this last week and saying that nobody will be going uh, anywhere um, before, certainly not before May the 17th, people are going to be legally going away after that. And we need to have some clarity as to what's required. Mm. So at the moment, they've just sort of said that, you know, arrivals from the red and amber countries will be required to quarantine. And those on the green list uh, will be required to take a PCR test. We don't know whether they're going to have to fill out any forms, how many tests they're going to have to do when they get back here. I mean, the tests themselves are, you know, up to 150 quid, mm. uh, even more expensive in some places. Um, one provider has said this week that they're reducing them to 60 quid, but that's still an awful lot. There's so many unknowns. And yes, the, the government have said, yes, you can, you know, previously they were saying, don't book a holiday, too early to book a holiday. Now they've said, book a holiday if you like, but mm. there's going to be so many people who are going to be so cautious and worried about all this. And, you know, even though I am one of the people that has booked something, you can't kind of blame them. No, quite. And what's the ruling on children, by the way? And I mean, I don't, and by children, I mean, I guess up all the way up to 16. Are they meant to be uh, in possession of a, of a negative test or, or are they exempt? What's the story? Uh, young children exempt. And I think, as I recall, the cutoff point, I'll have to double check this. I think it's age 12 right. um, and upwards and age six and upwards for the masks, mm. um, because obviously it's really difficult to uh, to get young children to wear masks. But that all depends on what airline and what country. I know in the States, for example, um, you know, if it's age two, I think, upwards for a mask. It's very difficult to get a, a two year old to wear a mask. Yeah. But if you think about it, if you've got older children and you've got a, you're a family, an average family of four going away and at the moment, I mean, obviously, it's illegal to travel, but at the moment, the rule is, and maybe it won't change, is that you'd have to take all these PCR tests before going mm. to arrive in that country, and 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 you know when coming coming back. So it just adds a huge amount of expense. But there are some green shoots from the travel industry, which is good. Mm. Um, we've had the CEO of um, EasyJet, Johan Lundgren, saying this week that he's putting on extra flights. Um, we've got Fly Fly B are coming back, which is amazing. How are they? Um, I thought they got. Yeah, I thought they, they disappeared. Bust. They did. They went bust about a year and a half ago and uh, they're, they're coming back and that's been in the news this week. And I've had reports from travel agents that more people are booking, more, and certainly the figures from January and February saw more people booking. So people are, you know, with the, the rollout of the vaccines going really well. I'm getting mine this week, so I'm quite excited about that. Next week, rather. And um, so that's that's going really well. So you've got to hope that, you know, that's going to get something moving. Yeah. And just going back to Heathrow for a minute, I mean, they're basically saying that they haven't got enough staff. But my problem with that is they may want to get more staff. But if they do get more staff, they still haven't got any more space. And therefore, the reason for the queuing is not necessarily the, the slowness of the of the of the dispatching of people. Presumably, it's, it's where they can all go, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's many logistical reasons. It's it's the space. It's the staff. Of course, you've got to have properly 
trained staff, there's border police as well, border control, you know, things that are controlled, not controlled by Heathrow themselves, but out of their hands. So mm. yeah, it's so many things. And I know that they've been calling to make this um, an electronic system. So by the, you know, you've got the e-gates yeah. and to actually make sure that, that the forms that people have to fill out at the moment are checked in advance before people travel rather than check there and then, because so many people make tiny little mistakes, mm. uh, you know, and they need checking. And, I, th uh, I, thought, so, yeah. I thought most of the forms that were done, and I mean, I don't know because I haven't been anywhere, um, but I thought you, you were able to fill out a form and have some kind of thing to show on your phone. Now, if you've got it on your phone, surely they could come up with some kind of QR code and you just go click and go through the gate, surely? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And most people, I mean, you can print it out if you have to, but um, I certainly, when I've travelled through, I've had it electronically, yeah. um, but they're still checking. You know, they're still checking that you've got it. They're mm. still check, checking that it's properly filled in, even though you've got it electronically. So it doesn't make that much difference. But I think you're right. I mean, I don't know the technology behind it, but surely it's just one further step to sort of get someone to check that, to get a computer to check that. Yeah. And I, I think that is what, what um, the travel industry certainly are calling for. So, yes, I do think that's a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And finally, Lisa, we've been talking this morning about the mood of the nation and how people are uh, when you're out and about now that there's a lot more people out and about. Certainly where I am, uh, there are in London. It's a lot busier. The trains are a lot busier. What have you found when you've been out and about last uh, this week? I don't know whether you've been able to take advantage of the lifting of the lockdown for a, a visit to a pub. But, you know, I, I, there's a bit of an edginess out there, I think. I've, but I've been in the pub every day, Mike, but just not Brilliant. like, you know, well played. smashed in there all night. Um, I've, I had one pint on Monday. I went to a, I had nights out with a friend on Tuesday and yesterday I went to a really beautiful country pub, which was lovely. And the, the mood, I mean, I'm in Brighton, which is a very sort of happy sort of party town anyway. And it's quite interesting that I find I'm bumping into sort of old friends on the street and they're giving me a hug and I'm thinking, oh, it's not quite legal, but I don't know how, quite how to say no. Well, I mean, um, I, I mean look, I'm looking forward, look forward to the day somebody tries to arrest me for hugging someone. What's that? Sorry, I missed you. I said I'm looking forward to the day somebody tries to arrest me for hugging someone. Oh well, I totally. I would. I would have. Are you hugging, Mike? Will you? You admit Certainly. to it on, of course, on air? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I would totally give you a hug when I see you. I, you. I really would. But uh, no, it's nice. It's nice here in Bryce. And I have to say, you know, I had a little wander around the town, taking pictures. It's lovely to see all the terraces full and people out and about. And it's sunny but cold. I, I think that's probably maybe helping the situation, sunny but cold, because so uh, as some people, are, you know, if it was blazing sunshine and really hot, it would even be busier, wouldn't yeah. it? But, you know, certainly I am feeling a lot more positive and I, I hope a lot of people are, are feeling that too. Yeah, apart from the people coming into Heathrow. But Lisa, thank you very much indeed. Lisa Francesca Nand, uh, travel journalist, host of the Big Travel Podcast. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Talking about people mingling and mixing with each other for the first time in a while, uh, Julia's tweeted in. She says, I've noticed that in the restaurant uh, business, there is a divide between those that are relaxed and ready to get involved in life and those that are tense and wary. One guy said to me, I haven't been out for so long. I feel like I'm struggling to think of things to say. I think a lot of people feel the same way. Let's talk to Donna Harvey, uh, who's live in San Diego. She's, of course, with KOGO in San Diego, Southern California. LaDonna, very good morning to you. And good morning to you. Have you noticed people being a bit wary of each other going out and about now that things are sort of happening nowadays? Uh, you know, I think there are some people who are just going to be paranoid about it no matter what. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's because they have a health issue and they're worried about it or they just don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> well, you know, there is We're a bit of that. Socialized. 
Yeah, a year by ourselves and suddenly we don't know how to talk to other people. Yeah, I mean, I certainly felt like that last year when we did the first lockdown and I didn't go and see my kids for about eight weeks, right? And I stayed in London. Um, and then the first day I went down to see them, we chatted away for about an hour and a half and we had some barbecue and we sat in the garden. And after about an hour and a half, we were all sitting there staring at each other going, what do, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, what happens I now? <laughs> I think we're done. Yeah. We covered it all. And I mean, I stayed another couple of hours and I went back to London. I mean, it took a while, you know, to get back into that whole thing. Our pub's opened this week, you'll be delighted to know. Um, so that uh, even though you have to sit outside, it's still possible to have a beer uh, and, a, and a bowl of chips, which is fantastic news. So, yeah, we can we can actually go inside restaurants right now in San Diego. Well, actually, most of California mm. Um, we're we're on the verge of opening back up. We're told sometime in June, I think it's June fifteenth, yeah. uh, that they're expecting to say, okay, no more lockdowns. You're you're free to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we're all hoping for. Uh, basically, it's been an interesting week in the U.S. because obviously, um, an awful lot of the uh, the news has been dominated by uh, John Kerry talking about going to China, uh, Joe Biden talking about pulling all the troops out of Afghanistan. We got Vladimir Putin uh, with a load of troops on the border with Ukraine. It's kind of it's foreign yeah, policy a week, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, Joe Biden says we're going to have all of our troops out of, uh, of Afghanistan by 9-11. Mm. Uh, I guess that's going to be, you know, the big date. So, uh, you know, what what we don't really know, though, is, OK, well, what happens to Afghanistan when we leave? Because yes. the Taliban did not go away. Well, they never do go away. This is the thing. And I mean, apparently they're taunting him now saying we're just going to take over um, because that's what we do when we and feel like doing it. Then they're probably right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's good to see that he hasn't used 9-11 as any kind of publicity stunt, though. No, 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 not at all. That would be wrong. Uh, I guess <laughs> that would be wrong. Um, and that would be a very undemocratic thing to do, to, you know, use a crisis yeah. to... Uh, to avert a crisis, yes, I guess. exactly right. Meanwhile, Minneapolis is still very much uh, the focus of a lot of people's attention. Kim Potter, uh, the 48-year-old police officer who can't tell the difference between a Glock 17 and a Taser, um, has now been charged with manslaughter for the second shooting um, or killing of a black man uh, in a car. Right. Uh, Dante Wright was his name. Um, he, was, he was resisting arrest. Uh, not in a, in a combative way, I don't think, um, but he was trying to get back into mm. his car. And instead of pulling her taser, she pulled a gun yeah. and accidentally shot him. Uh, so the manslaughter charge does appear to be the correct charge. I'm not sure that's going to make anybody happy, though. No. And she's had to resign from the police force, hasn't she? Yeah, she has. She has. She's been booked. Um, she is going to go to trial and... Uh, I don't I don't think things are looking good for her future. She's a 20, I think, 26 year veteran of the police force. She's been there for quite some time. So it was a, a it's a very um, odd mistake to make. Yes. Well, it really is. And I mean, I've watched the video a couple of times and I can't quite work out what's going on, really, because, you know, he eventually drives off, which presumably was the fear that they had that he was going to drive off. So why would you let right. him back in the car if you thought he was going to drive off? 
I, I'm not really sure. I, and that's what the videos really don't make clear mm. is what happened. You know, what, what is the whole story of how this whole thing happened? Right. And, right. you know, again, it's, you know, you get a piece of video and it looks like one thing. And then you get the whole video and it looks like another thing. And you have to try to figure out, you know, which is the which is the truth. Yes. And that's, I suppose, what we're also finding out about with the Chauvin uh, case as it goes. Uh, what's the latest on that? Uh, well, we had a, a medical examiner testify yesterday that George Floyd died because of heart disease. And while I, I you know, don't deny that the guy probably had a heart disease, he was a very large man. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, had he not had a knee on his neck for nine minutes, um, he might have actually lived through that day. So, well, I think and, you, know, uh, I is, think you make a very good point, Madonna. <laughs> Well, it you know it's it's like saying you know it's a COVID-related death because you had cancer. Yes. It's like well, which killed you? Well, right. COVID would not have killed you if you did not have it. Right. Well, we've so, had a bit of a reset. Well, you know, we've had a bit of a reset, fine enough, on the COVID deaths front because they worked out that maybe some of them were not really people dying from COVID, uh, but dying with it. And I wonder whether uh, that's going to be something that the American uh, think people who think do the numbers in America are going to say as well. I, you know, I, I, I'm very curious about that because there is, I mean, there is a difference between COVID killing you mm. and somebody dying of a, of a disease that they already had while also having COVID. Right. It, you know, did COVID contribute to it or did COVID kill them? Right. And I think those are two very different things and we've got to figure it out. Yeah. And of course, it's interesting now because government specialists in these matters uh, more or less kind of gloss over it and say, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? And you go, well, actually, it does matter, because uh, if it turns out that 25 yeah, percent of people um, who died of COVID supposedly did not die of COVID, then that means we have less than 100,000. I know it's still a big number, you know, but a whole industry was grown on the basis that we lost 100,000 people because of COVID. And if it turns out that that's not true, then I think it's quite important. Well, it is. And, you know, it, it, that's the thing. It's it, critical thinking demands that we have answers, mm. that we understand exactly what it is that this disease did, where it came from and and how it spread so quickly. And so uh, just it just wiped out so mm. many people. Mm. Um, and, and we do need clear answers. And, and asking for those answers does not make you a denier by the way. It's just saying, no, I just, I want all the facts. Yes, I know. <laughs> so Call me old-fashioned. Call me old-fashioned. <laughs> you know, when a politician knocks on my right. door and tells me something, I don't automatically go, oh, righto, then that must be true. Uh, right. Exactly. Mm. And usually if a politician says it, the first thing I go is, okay, what are they lying about <laughs> right now? I'm afraid you're me. What are they right. saying to me? That is absolutely not true. Yeah. <laughs> Your instincts are entirely correct, LaDonna. Pleasure to speak to you as ever. We'll catch up with you same time next week. LaDonna Harvey, uh, the host of KOGO San Diego Breakfast Show, uh, co-host, I should say. Uh, she's, of course, uh, in California. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.